0: Did we start already? Um, I'm recording. Uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I kind of started, but kind of not, because I, I just started recording, anyways. And we just kind of yeah. So,
1: um, the name was recently changed, and it's part of the whole military justice and discipline domain. Before it was under like JAC, but we we go along with. The area defense councils and the special victims councils, and that we only represent airmen. Um, for us, we're a really big office compared to like an ADC or an SVC. We have almost 20 people, but yeah, everybody who goes through the disability evaluation system, what you know, in a base legal office, you'd call getting med boarded, um, we represent those airmen and guardians too, um, active duty, National Guard. Reservist. So uh, it's a very busy job as far as being on the phones and responding to emails. Um, you know, you, if you're getting trouble in Japan, you call your um, ADC and they may be in Japan, they may be in Korea, Guam. But for us, we're the only office that deals with. It. So if a service member in Japan gets notified on a Friday and they get six days to respond to that, you know, we're already... By the time they get the notification and then we get in touch with them, we're already missing days. So we're doing our best to just stay in touch with the entire world about this.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. And we'll get a little bit more in depth into into the office. Office of Disability Council or Office Disability Council?
1: Office of Disability Council. ODC.
0: Oh, okay. okay. We, uh, we recently got a brief too I think uh, major Gore uh gave us a brief uh, for our office about uh, you know the slides and brief and, and about the um the ODC so well, major brief. gore is it,
1: she's incredible um she uh, is our garden reserve coordinator um and I've been working at that office for about four months now and just some of the guard and reserve stuff still really confuses me. Um, you know, you can have a guard member who, because of their injury and just the way their situation is working out with their unit, they could be on no pains, no points, no pay status, um, but still sort of in limbo with what's going on with their cases. Some of these cases drag on for years. Um, for most active duty, you know, it, it's usually about from the time their PCM flags them um, to a point where they have a final decision from the Air Force, it's a matter of like, you know, six months. But for our Guard and Reserve members, it, it it's a long, long time.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so she handles that, the Reserve and Guard, or not handles, but kind of brings a lot of information, a lot of expertise with that.
1: Yeah, she's our she's our SME on that. And um we have a civilian attorney who's a retired um, Air Force major, Jag, who has just been in the office long enough, so he he gets a fair share. All of our attorneys can do it, but, I mean, if you're an attorney and you're there for six months, um, you know, you've got your feet wet, you're rolling, and then all of a sudden one of these Air National Guard or Reserve Cases gets thrown at you, and it could be a little bit of a curveball. So that's why we have the continuity with our civilian and our reserve and guard coordinator, who is an ARC member who is activated for the position. Um, so they know just like the guardisms um, to you know help the rest of our team out.
0: Right. No, for sure. I know. Yeah, I know a few people in your office, so I do know Mr. Hasbury. I'm sure that's who you were talking about, the retired major. Yeah. What I'm talking about. Has that's, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I worked with him at Lackland. Uh, he was a captain at the time. I know he, he was prior enlisted security forces, I believe.
1: Yeah, he was, he was a dog handler.
0: Um, he calls it a
1: puppy pusher. Um, but he, that's, that's the only job he did as a security force member. So he got kind of lucky. So
0: that's right.
1: uh, No, we're, we're very happy to have him and his expertise. Mm -hmm. He's actually one of the attorneys that, um, is on my team. Um, We we get assigned uh, an attorney to assist with for, you know, helping with the service members correspond to either their med group or the Air Force board or the VA. Um, At different stages, we can do different products for them Um, as far as teaming goes. But like all paralegals do intake where you're, you know you sitting on the phone uh, and it never stops ringing. We have the the little headsets that you can see at the McDonald's drive through just because <laughs> you, you got to be able to use your hands and, and look up all sorts of different information. And it, it, you would just be like this all day if you didn't have it.
0: That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, again, we'll get a little bit more into that. So yeah, my major Hasbury, um, major Gore. I, uh, I also worked with her at Lackland and, uh, Captain Household, I saw that she was there, but I worked with her at Cadena, um, so pretty familiar with with the team. And I think I'm working with Sergeant Romero on some um, uh, some of these paralegal badging initiatives as well. So,
1: Yeah, I hear her during her meetings, and I'm like, man,
0: Sergeant Perez has
1: got his hands in everything there.
0: Well <laughs> oh, she does. Yeah, Sergeant Romero, she was our team lead, so uh, did a great job with that. Um. All right. So um, really what we're going to be talking about during this podcast is going to be really two things because I, w- I wanted to bring you in a few months ago. Actually, before your PCS to Lackland, I believe you were deployed. So we'll touch a little bit on that as far as you can you can share um, from your deployment. Obviously, we don't want to get into any of the OPSEC stuff and you know what what type of things you can share as far as the duties and responsibilities that you had while you were deployed in Honduras. Right. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about, because this is a different, um, a different aspect of what we do as paralegals. And, and a lot of us, whenever we step out of the, uh, legal office, we go to either the air defense council or the, uh, special victims council. Um, so, you know, to, to talk about the A O. ODC and and the mission there and and a a paralegal role. I think that's going to be interesting as well. So we're kind of quickly um, touching those two things. But before we get started on any of those two, I really would like for you to introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about you.
1: All right. So uh, I have a very convoluted last name. It's Olaya Gonzalez, uh, but the Air Force didn't include the hyphen. So it just looks like one, long word. Um, I was born in Columbia in South America, and I moved to the United States when I was three years old. Um, joined the Air Force when I got my green card. Um, I joined later in life. I, I was 23 when I joined, and then I had a, a, a JAG who really pushed me to get my citizenship at my first duty assignment. Um, I got pretty lucky because I wasn't a citizen when I enlisted, so... I had a list of about seven jobs that I could do. I know I had dental services. Um, I couldn't even be a maintainer. I couldn't be a cop. Um, But paralegal was on there, and um, I had a pretty decent ASVAP score. And I'm like, well, paralegal, working with lawyers, that doesn't sound too bad. Um, So I got interviewed at basic training um, and then went to four base legal offices, uh, Seymour Johnson, Dover, Korea uh, at So the Wolfpack, and then I went to Pope. Um, from Pope, uh, I deployed to Honduras, and then while I was deployed, I got an assignment that I would be coming to the ODC at Texas. So um, I go by Sergeant OG. So if, you, if anybody's ever worked with me, they probably only know me as OG. Um, yeah, I've been in the Air Force about 12 years, and I've been a paralegal the entire time.
0: All right, awesome. So it's interesting you mentioned the citizenship thing because our last one of our well uh, episode sixteen was with Erman Ramsey. Did you were you able to check that one out?
1: So I saw Erin Ramsey um, through either Facebook or or Instagram because I think that she got coined by the Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force. Um, but it, it's really great to see um, you know service members who. Choose to be Americans get highlighted. Um, it, it, you know, without touching too much on social issues, uh, some you know, growing up undocumented or uh, of a different ethnicity or background. Sometimes I can see how your Americanness or your patriotism can get questioned. But uh, becoming a citizen was, you know, it was it was probably one of the best days in my mother's life because she was um, a, a young mom with two young kids and you know we we were undocumented for a very long time and uh that's not an easy life um you know a lot of people throw the word illegals around and as somebody who has been undocumented before it, it it's it's a term that I'm not comfortable with because it makes you feel like you know you're 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 consistently um, breaking the law or something. And I was three years old, I had no choice. Um, but my mother wanted a better life for me and my brother. So I mean, it was great when I joined the Air Force. Obviously, she missed me and missed me going away. But uh, when I told her, hey, I'm, I'm gonna become a citizen. So she definitely she flew down to North Carolina. We had our ceremony um, at Fort Bragg. And you know, I got a certificate and I had to shred my Colombian passport. Um, So it was incredible. Um, It was an incredible feeling knowing that that's something that she worked hard for her life to provide a better life for me. And then on the flip side, uh, a couple years later, she got to become a citizen with my brother. And I I flew up to Boston. Well, I drove up to Boston to to be part of that ceremony. And it it was I'm not somebody who gets emotional, but it was emotional seeing her, you know, become a citizen. And uh, she's gotten to vote in person a lot more times than I have because. I've just been mailing in my ballots, but, you know, she she's 100 percent Colombian, but she's 100 percent American. Um, And it's it's great to see um, Airman Ramsey being highlighted for that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, definitely uh, glad that you shared that experience. Um, Because that's what you know, a lot of it is it's what America is all about. It's a lot of what the United States is all about. Right. Like we all, you know. Coming together for a shared purpose from all over the place, um, all over the globe, and and it's I think it's what makes us strong, especially in our military. Right? I mean, it's so hard and difficult to to plan against or to predict the United States because we're so we're everything and we represent everyone. Um,
1: yeah, no, there's been some some uh, negative feedback about diversity, um, but if you talk to if you hear high ranking leaders talk about diversity i mean they extended as far as a diversity of opinions diversity of experiences diversity of of career fields of mission sets um you know there's a four-star general named stanley McChrystal. he was the uh he was the commander of the jsoc joint special operations command and and he's not somebody that, you know, you would think would be part of like the woke military, but he goes, When I was a JSOC commander, you know, why would you want everybody who thinks the same way in the same room making decisions? Um, we need these types of inputs. Um, to bring it back down to like a base legal level, uh, you know, first time you do a murder board and you're an A1C with a uh a legal pad and and you're hearing a seasoned attorney making an argument and you ask that question, Hey, hey, why are you doing this? And they're like, you know I hadn't thought about that. That's a diversity of opinion. And we get those diversity of opinions through our different backgrounds, um, our different mindsets, our different education levels, our different life experiences. Um so yeah, that that is what America is about. That's what that's what makes a strong team is 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 having different options, having different approaches, having different courses of action to any problem.
0: Right. Oh well, absolutely. Um yeah no, that's super cool so again thank you uh thanks for sharing that and yeah i mean Ramsey, she she shared a lot, a lot about the process and some frustrations that she had um with the process Um, uh, yeah and trying to do something to to make it better so um uh, uh, doing a lot of work with that and, and really awesome to see you know someone for our career field taking a stand in that way um all right. So cool. Yeah. So that's, uh, really interesting. Uh, chose paralegal, uh, to come in. And then you mentioned that your first duty station was, which one was it again? Seymour Johnson. Johnson. you said. Seymour,
1: yep. Fourth fighter wing down in North Carolina. It's where I met my wife. It's where I made, um, a lot of good friends. It's, it's where, uh, where I learned to be uh, as good of a paralegal as I can be. Cause it was, it was a very busy base. I mean, there was 92 F-15s, and when you have 92 F-15s, you have all the maintainers and security forces and all the pluses and negatives that comes with that. So, you know, as a young paralegal, looking at 100 Article 15s a year, um, you know, you, you got to you got to learn your job whether you wanted to or not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was tough, but, I mean, it, it set a perspective for me that I always keep in mind. Uh, you know because you know you work those long days in justice and then you get to a base that maybe has a different tempo and you're like okay i can see i can see that the, the air force isn't always the same you know two bases in the same state two different match comps, completely different worlds um yeah it was it was really tough uh but you know you sort of how you learn
0: so was that dover for you then once you got to dover you were like oh man seymour johnson we were crazy busy and then was dover a little slower or was still pretty busy
1: they call it lower slower dover um but that was good but it's 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 a you know if if you're used to acc and you think of fighter pilots um and then you think of amc and you think of mobility pilots well you don't have one person on a, a cargo plane you have a whole teamwork so um, it's a, just a different mindset you know the military justice cases were still as hard but they were you know they were just just as many we only had about 17 jets and you know that's a big difference from 92 um but that's a that was a big shock for me um but i mean you know it it, it always has its ups and downs no matter what base you're at and anybody who's worked at Kadena or ranstein or nellis um we'll say 100 Article 15s, that's not much. But anybody who's worked at some other base who does, you know, three to four Article 15s a year, but is busy with other stuff, you just you just got to go with the ebbs and flows.
0: Right. No, absolutely. Every office is different, and, and it, it represents their own unique challenges. You know, even, oh, I'm going to a small office. Yeah, with probably less personnel, Um, you know, doing a lot more. So, I mean, you just never know um all right so i really i'm really curious then about your deployment if we can get into that i so you were a pope you said right so pope and you deployed from yeah. there so pope,
1: yeah i deployed from there i got an email from um the NAF prior legal manager um senior master sergeant hamilton who is awesome and she emailed and said hey we there's two spots opening up um, for deployments they're both seven levels they're both leaving around the same time, and they're both exactly six months. Um, so this was in January of 2020, so completely different world ago. And um, I, I hadn't really done a, a full deployment. Um, I'd deployed to uh, the Dominican Republic, which was weird when you say that. And then I deployed deployed to uh, Osan from Kunsan, but those were really, like, TDYs on CED orders. Um, So I talked it over with my wife and I said, hey, you know, nobody wants to deploy, but uh, we have a good family situation here in North Carolina. So we were living right near our son and we have a good, great relationship with the other set of parents. And I said, hey, this is might as well be as good of time as any to deploy because I can get to choose where I'm going. And, you know, next duty assignment and the one after that, I may not get a choice. I may just get an email that says, hey, you're going. So the, the two assignments were to PSAP, Prince Sultan Air Base in Saudi Arabia, and the other one was to Sotocano Air Base in Honduras. Um, and I'd known some people who'd gone to Honduras. I I knew two of them. And the the situation in Honduras is that it's an Air Force deployment, but for for the Army who's there – and for the Air Force unit who's stationed there, it's it's a just a remote assignment. So, you know, if you deploy to Bagram or um Iud, you know that y- you can get like a weekend pass, but you're 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 deployed there. Whereas Honduras, you can travel all over Central America, you can come home on a long weekend and stuff. So I was like, Hey, look, this might be a chance to go see something cool in Honduras. Um do a different mission because you're there with the Army, but it's a joint assignment. And I talked to my wife. She said, yeah, go for it. So I emailed back the the senior, and I was like, look, I don't care where you send me. I'm, I'm ready to deploy, but I just want to let you know I'm fluent in Spanish. I was born in Latin America. I've deployed to um, Southcom before. Um, and then Chief Oliver emailed back the next day and said, Sergeant OG is going to Honduras. So this was January of 2020. Um and then you know the world changed in mm-hmm. March of 2020. So it was up in the air about who was going where, but uh I I did deploy there in early April, no mid April, um and the base was completely locked down and I got to leave the base just twice. Um and you know things were getting a little restless and stir crazy on Army base because it's the the base is it it has a history of being A forward operating base for Southcom, special ops, and anti-drug missions. But during COVID, um, our humanitarian projects um, we had to keep them going, but push them back because, like, one of the big projects is helping the local population of Honduras. Honduras is, you know, fantastic people, very lovely, very warm. Unfortunately it's a very poor nation um so we would you know it, it, in a non covid environment every month there would be a hike um where everybody who volunteers would load up with uh supplies humanitarian supplies and hike to a local town and distribute them well you couldn't do that with covid uh mm-hmm. covid is bad in the united states um but covid is definitely worse in central and south america not by the numbers because you know america is a huge country but, you know, if you have insurance, you can go get taken care of. In, in Honduras, the situation was, like, they had 40 beds for people with COVID for the country in the main hospitals. In a, in a oh, hospital wow. that would treat a service member, there were 40 beds. Most people just, you know, you would go to lo- your local doctor and they'd say, like, we don't have a respirator for you. Um, we don't have any any treatment for you. So we we had to shut down the base. Um, our local nationals, only the really mission essential ones, would come to work. Um, there was no weekend pass. Clearly, uh, there was no you know scuba diving trips to Costa Rica. Um, so it, there was times when it was just me in the office because the jag was there, but the jag you know was getting pulled all around, and I didn't have my local national for continuity because she was immunocompromised and she'd been working in a legal office for forty years, but. That's not essential. Right. So
0: it was really cool. Wow. And so what did a I, I, I don't know, what did a regular day look like? What what were your responsibilities while you were there? So
1: it was just a, you know, like you would do a base legal office, um, but pared down and then throw in the army in there. So, you know, I did civil law, um, doing, Quick cursory legal reviews from my attorney for, um, you know, ops missions, or hey, you know, the ambassador wants to come, or Southcom has got this question. Um, but also, you know, a soldier got in trouble for drinking too much, and they rolled one of the uh, the gators, or a soldier didn't want to come to work, so I was doing uh, military justice for the army. I wasn't doing military justice for the air force so i had to learn a whole new language a whole new Mm -hmm. version of um basically our am jams uh learn the army regulations on military justice um and i thought like man the air force is really well behaved here but one time uh the first sergeant called the first sergeant for the air force unit called and he had a situation with one of his members so me and my jag went over there and talked to him and I was like, wow, you guys, you know, you guys don't really get in trouble. I haven't had any Article 15s. Like, well, they don't go through you, they go through Twelfth Air Force. And I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. But I, I could have been doing both at the same time if they'd given me M Jams access. But working with the army as far as Article 15s go, it, it was it was definitely different because just learn a whole new form and um there's no commanders on G Series orders, so that's one thing you didn't have to t- take care of. Um but the sergeant's major really um did a lot of the work that are you you would do with a first sergeant and the commander so um the sergeant majors would be the one to do the offering and so you'd be coordinating with an e9 every time um and i sort of felt outnumbered because I was the only um one of the only air force people that was like dealing with army commanders that frequently wow do
0: they also have uh
1: do they have metrics no it's <laughs> for some reason they didn't care about those metrics no um so that was that was nice and refreshing but um i think i would have done a good job since i mean the, the service members weren't going on leave and the commander wasn't going to be out of town um i i didn't track the met, met metrics because i think i'm not a big fan of of the way we push those metrics uh um, but, you know, the, this, the Army commanders were pretty uh, junior when you think about when you're doing an Article 15 for a squadron commander. And, and most of the time you got a, a seasoned major or a, a, a lieutenant colonel. My company commander was a, a second assignment captain. Um, so I would interact a lot with with their first sergeant. Um, um, not that the captain didn't know what I was doing, but you know, it can it can be kind of intimidating to, you know, you're a twenty six year old captain um about to take a stripe from a thirty year old E six or something like that. Um it it was interesting.
0: Huh. So was it just um was it just Army and Air Force then that were uh that were there? Were there other services?
1: Um, there were some services there. There was a uh, there was Navy special warfare there. Um, there was some um, Marines. Uh, but what usually happens is that, like, a Marine unit out of Florida would deploy there, like, as a unit. Um, but because of COVID, that didn't happen there. So it was just the Army. Um, it was the majority. Air Force was the second most. Um, I don't remember any Navy besides the special warfare people and then the marines were the least but it was just the marines like uh who were working on the staff so there wasn't really an operational um marine element there but it was cool because you know it was all the services um space force wasn't there yet they may be in the future but there was also um total force like there was an army puerto rican puerto rican army national guard mp unit that deployed there as a whole um so that was interesting too, because, uh, you know, when when you deploy as an airman as a paralegal, you, you just go with like whoever JAX tells you to go. But when you, when you see a unit deploy together, um, you, you, you sort of they bring all their positives and their negatives with them. Um, so you know you could have a good continuity of command, but you could also have a, a negative continuity of you know the bad apples and uh in a deployed situation during covid um that that really popped out there was um there was some serious um insubordination issues with some of those uh, uh guardsmen um but uh but yeah that was interesting it was it was it was a joint environment for sure in the most whole way because um, i got to work with with all of them and you know different commands different um structures um i knocked out I see JPME down there because I thought like, well, when, whenever, when else am I going to get to use it in practice? So it was really cool. I would advertise that if, if, if you're a paralegal and you see that deployment pop up, um, especially in a post COVID world, it, it it's a great opportunity for um, a staff sergeant, a tech sergeant to um, run their own office without being in the, like the repetitive nature of being a defense paralegal or a special victims paralegal, because those jobs, while, you know, very fulfilling and helping our airmen, um, you're just doing one lane. But if you deploy where you're the NCOIC of the legal office, um, especially to a great environment like that, I'd suggest you jump on that. That's a, that that would be the most ideal deployment for me in a non-COVID world, which is why I volunteered for it. But, I mean, even with COVID, I got to make some good friends and learn some cool things about the army and I got to go shooting with them. I got to ride into Chinook.
0: Um it was it was pretty rad. Nice. That's really good. Yeah, no, it's they're all incredible experiences. I've deployed three times, twice as a paralegal. And they've been great. The I've enjoyed all my deployments for sure. Um the growth that happens there, the um you know working with sister, sister services or foreign uh members for foreign military um, it's getting to learn how they do things and, and and just opening your eyes and opening your your whole entire um you know essentially membership of the armed forces um, because you're expanding your knowledge within the whole total force Um and really, a, an amazing experience. So, I'm glad that you were able to, you know, to go to experience that. Um, it just makes us better and allows us to grow um, as we continue to move on and progressing through the ranks. So, that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, like, from the missions that they've done in the past and the missions that they have planned for the future for that assignment, um, there's deployments from that deployment to, um, Colombia to Brazil, um, even though that that's past like this Central America, um, what they call cent, Centam AOR, um, it's still part of Southcom. Um, so it would be really cool. I mean, wh- when you're down there, you're really what the only Air Force paralegal for the entire Central America because you got Joint Task Force Guantanamo uh but that is dedicated to a special mission set. I mean that's just for the prosecution down there, the logistical support. Um but I mean south of south of Texas, you're the only paralegal there. Uh it was really cool cuz I, you know, I would call up um you know the the paralegals who were at Army Army South and AF South and Southcom. Um Putting together, you know, when, when the new commander got there, he, he wanted to know, hey, who, if it comes to this, who can I impose NJP on? And if it came to this, who could I prefer or refer charges on? And it took a lot of asking questions because, you know, it's the difference between um, COCOM versus TACON and ADCON. Um, so it, it took some research. It definitely some of those things that you learn in OPLA, law, you know, for day one or two or three of seven level school, you, you really have to put it into perspective and, and learn it again and and call, you know, the master sergeant, Air Force master sergeant who's stationed at Southcom who works with this, who works with these questions every day for the admiral who's down there.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And in addition to that, it makes studying for the joint doc or for the doctrine version of the PDG a bit easier. Um, that was one of the most challenging. But after the deployment experience, yeah, you have some familiarization with uh, the terminology and, and and the actual, you know, putting in practice. Uh, yeah, the whole operations law and, and, and the way that we do combat. Um,
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're a staff sergeant and you you got your E6 test coming up, like one, you're deployed, so you, you can't you can't mess around on the weekends. You can't can't take long trips. And two, you're you're gonna be learning all the army ranks and all the marine ranks and um, how they operate. You know what an a- MEF is, what a just what a company is versus brigade versus battalion versus regiment why not trying to learn that
0: nice did you do any claims while you were there um
1: i i did not um because the paralegal who was down there was working remotely but i got a chance to review a lot of the documents because um you know sometimes just like a helicopter working overhead or flying overhead can disrupt somebody's like house because if you're familiar with uh some of the architecture of developing nations you know that are not very um affluent you have like tin racks and tin walls and things like that so that stuff can blow it up so the ones that i i, I looked at i didn't get a chance to work on it was those types of things it was like somebody's whole house being displaced just because of updraft from a helicopter
0: right all right yeah yeah. yeah. they're not stable so any little thing will yeah yeah we'll damage it <clears throat> gotcha um all right well cool um anything else that you wanted to share from the deployment experience in honduras yeah honduran food is great so
1: that's uh, just another reason to to plug if you get an opportunity to go down there i know uh the guy who deployed after me he was um he was mexican and no he i think he was dominican um but somebody after that, I don't think they were Hispanic, so don't think like, hey, I'm not going to deploy to this place because I don't speak Spanish because, hey, you can deploy there, you can have Spanish classes, and you know, you're know, you not going to be speaking Spanish all the time. But it, it helps to you know, shore up your practice while you're down there with working with the, the locals and the Puerto Rican Air National Guard and the you know employees at the dining facility. And so, yeah, I'm just trying to get people to – deploy down there because it's a great assignment.
0: now for sure. And I think now and I think this is new that started maybe last year. Uh that on roster you can go and click uh if you want to volunteer for a deployment. That's one way to get deployed now. Um I know there's a button that you click and it stays on and you know they can definitely whenever they look for people to deploy they can at least start with you know potentially people that want to go.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a lot better if you have somebody who has the motivation to go as opposed to somebody um, who gets tapped to replace somebody um, and then they're stuck there. You know, the, I was I actually had that close call when I was in Pope. Um, there was somebody who dropped out of a Bagram deployment and uh, the NAF said to me in my, my loss, hey, you guys are the only two seven levels in AMC who can go right now because of coding. So you'd be deploying in three weeks and my supervisor got the shorts drawn. He deployed to Bagram, he got stuck there for eight months. But if you know if somebody had hit that button and said, hey, I want to go to Bagram, you know, they probably would have got would have got certain first. So hit that button if you really want to deploy. Make it known.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. It's a good tool and I'm glad that they added it. give those individuals that opportunity all right so you get back from deployment and when did you so did you get picked up for odc while you were deployed
1: yeah um i um i got the pope as a follow-on assignment to korea um because i've been trying to get back to north carolina to be near my son uh so got back to to states in august of 2018 and i thought i was going to be at pope for a lot longer um but around september of 2020 i got an email saying congratulations on your new assignment and uh, i wasn't thrilled about it because excuse me i would be um i would be i would have gotten back to the states in april april no october and then pcs in february so that's what i did i got back in in October, took some time, pushed me right up until the holidays, and then I had basically two and a half months to PCS. But uh, um, you know, everybody knows when you join up in the military, you only have so much say in where you get to live. Um, so it wasn't a bad assignment. I I liked the area, and I knew um, an attorney who had gone there. And I'm like, hey, what's the office I'm like? Well, you know, it's busy, but it it's different and it's pretty interesting. So. I got here at the end of February um, right after the snowstorm in Texas, and uh, I was it was a little unsettling getting to a job that you have no idea how things work. Um, if you think about going from the base legal office as a senior airman or a staff sergeant to be the defense paralegal, well, you've probably worked a couple of courts right there. You've definitely worked a couple article 15s. You've worked a couple discharges boards, so you know what the other side is if you want to think in adversarial terms, but, um, you know, you only hear about people getting med boarded, um, but you don't really know what that means. Uh, and that's not even the, the correct terminology for it. So when I got there, I'm like, what is all this? And I was really unsure about what I was doing. Um, but we have a really good training program here, uh, a good phased approach to learning. And, um, after a couple of weeks, um, I just realized like, oh, yeah, I'm starting to get the flow of things. Um, But it it was very intimidating because, you know, people are calling you on some of their worst days when they realize, like, I'm a 17 year master sergeant and now I'm going to get put out. Um, And you're the one picking up the phone. You're the one answering the questions. Um, Luckily, we have great paralegals, great attorneys who can help out. And and we do what we can for for our airmen and guardian um, going through this process,
0: right? Um, so I'm just curious because I, I thought the those positions get advertised in uh, in AMS. Did they not, or do they not?
1: No, they no, they do. It's a um, it, it's a job like an area defense counsel or a special victims um pro, uh, paralegal where you can get vetted um you can submit your application and and you know leadership might say you know this it's probably not the right fit for this person but sometimes you just get non and then that's what happened to me i got non um but i called uh the superintendent who was then master sergeant alan salmones and i talked to him about what's going on i talked to him about my family situation and uh, i talked about it with my wife and i said look it's it's not like we can say no, because then you turn down an assignment, you know, you're coded, you're done. Um, and it's not that bad of a location. She didn't want to leave North Carolina, but I said, um, San Antonio is a great city uh, with a lot of things to do, and the, the job will be interesting. So we came here, and it, it's, it has been a very interesting job, uh, just dealing with with people who are really confused about the situation and really feel like they're getting no help. Um, and we're the only people that are helping them in the military because, um, you know, the med group has their own priorities in this and the AFPC has their own priorities in this. Um, so we're, we're there for the airmen. It's why we used to be called the office of airmen's council, but, you know, we don't help just airmen. Like I said, we help guardians too. And, uh, we're we're helping service members who are injured uh, with visible or invisible injuries. A, a lot of post traumatic stress disorder from combat, from military sexual violence. Um, a lot of you know mental health. A, a lot of back injuries. A lot of knees. A lot of feet. You know the 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 tolls that the military just takes on your body. And, and sometimes the Air Force says like, well, unfortunately, it's time for you to not be in the military anymore and by the way here's this process and here's this number call them and they'll help and that's what we do gotcha
0: and um what are some of your responsibilities then as the as a paralegal i saw that you were so when i looked at roster i saw that you were a policy was a policy so there's there's two it seems like two sections right
1: the policy and then there's the outreach I think those are the the two um, branches um, but ultimately you're you're responsible for um, intake so we have thousands of clients a year um, and we take shifts either covering the phones or covering the org box um, because right now we have four paralegals with one more inbound and we are staffed where we need to be as far as handling that workload. Uh, You're also uh, responsible for teaming with an attorney when uh, helping prepare correspondence to um, either, you know, the med group and things like a letter of rebuttal, because when you're being put through the disability evaluation system, the DES process, which most people call getting MEB'd, um, the medical group is responsible for, for preparing a narrative summary about what's wrong with this service member. And, you know, the service members don't always agree. So they contact us and we help them write a letter of response um, the same way you would do a rebuttal to an LOR. Uh, so that when the AFPC looks at it, then they may take a different opinion to what the med group is saying. And then ultimately when a service member does get a decision by the informal physical evaluation board that says, hey, your your disabilities are unfitting and you're going to get separated from the military, um, whether that be with a medical retirement or just a discharge with severance pay, we assist the service members in making their arguments to a formal board. Um, so like the same way you do, would do with a discharge board or a court martial, helping gather evidence, helping do interviews, helping prepare um, the attorney's arguments in looking for things that the you know the service member may ask because the service member may say like um, yeah my back is messed up but my knees are too and and here I'll show you why my knees are messed up or the service member may say um, no I'm I, I can actually do my job I can actually deploy I can actually pass an Air Force PT test and and here's how I can show you that I can do all those things and, and as a paralegal. You're assisting the attorney in these things, um, preparing the service member to um, make their case to their board the service member has a chance to call into the hearing. Um, it used to be a formal hearing in person, but because of COVID, we had to lock this down. So you, you help um, draft the questions and, and take different approaches that you would do with the board. And then other times the service member would say, like, I'm fine separating. I just think I deserve a higher rating. And you do a, a VA ratings reconsideration where you, the VA gives you a number. They they look at they look at the tests that they do. Um, they look at your medical records and they just say twenty percent. And the service member's like, "What do you mean twenty percent? I I can barely get out of bed." And you you take all the research, you take all the medical records, you, you take all the information that the service member provides to you, and you you do a legal review about their entire. Um, their entire argument. And hopefully, you know, you, you get the VA to, um, to get it right. Um, that's a pretty good feeling. Um, I had a service member who was doing a pretty bad accident and, and, you know, she was rated at 20% for um, some very visible injuries and some very limiting injuries. And we raised her to 80%. And that's a, yeah. that's a difference between, Getting out of the military and having Tricare for life—that's um, a big. It's, you know, for some service members, they're fine with with separating. But if you have a family, you've put in 15, 16 years, and the Air Force says, "Here's discharge. Here's a, a paycheck." Uh, that's not always the best option. Sometimes, you, you know, the, the the sometimes the health insurance is is enough. So they get a. If we get them over a certain threshold, we can get them. Try care for life for them and their dependents.
0: Wow. <clears throat> Very interesting. In- interesting process and a lot different than all the things that we see on a daily basis, especially for us, for our career field. So that is, that is cool. And another element of helping other airmen, right? With, well, whether it's, you know, as a SVP or DP. And oh, now you go, you have the uh, ODC as well. Oh.
1: No, it, definitely that is i mean the work is the work is a lot and you don't always have success in fact the success rate for getting service members returned to duty is less than 10% but uh well, you know when you get those victories when you get somebody a much higher um compensation when you get somebody the ability to continue with their, you know, their mental health treatment um, after they get out of the military, uh, it, it feels really good, um, especially for our service members who have uh, PTSD or depression or, you know, a lot of the things that that really are going to impact you for the rest of your life. Um, you know, that, that service member and the Air Force agree, like, I shouldn't be in the Air Force. But, hey, Air Force... You have some contribution to what's wrong with me right now, so really, for equity's sake, I deserve tricare um and that that's really helpful to be able to get somebody to retire um because sometimes the Air Force doesn't care how long you've been in like you could be in nineteen years, and the Air Force says, "Sorry, like it's just you're broken but not broken enough." to get TRICARE for life, but too broken to keep coming to work. And, you know, uh, I'm at 12 years and I can't imagine like how crushing that would feel to know that through no fault of my own, um, I'm not going to be able to keep providing for my family. Um, so it, it can be, it can be emotionally tolling, um, to, to talk to service members. Um, but you you take your victories where you can and, and you know the teamwork that you do with your attorney and when your attorney tells you hey you know you did a great job with this and our service our our client walked away satisfied and and got what they felt they deserved, you know that's that's what keeps you going through the next round of phone calls
0: right so how do you like it so far
1: it's it's very interesting i mean I'm, like I said, I, I got there and I, I didn't know what was going on, but once I, I, I felt like I could, you know, have a conversation with a service member and, and assist them. It, that was really good because sometimes, you know, you, you say to them, Hey, we're here for you. Like, and then say, thank goodness, because, you know, nobody else is on my side. My, my med group isn't listening to me. My commander um, may not care about me and they just want, to move me along, but, you know, my, I have a right to be heard. Um, it feels good to be helping a service member because, uh, you know, I, I grew up on military justice. And while you think about the big picture, um, you know, you think about the service member who messed up once and, you know, has to pay for it for the rest of their career because, you know, they lost a stripe and now they're not eligible to test for three years or, um, you know you, you forget about the humans when you're pushing numbers and you're pushing metrics and you're pushing specifications but when you're looking at somebody's injuries or you know they're 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 so depressed that they they can't sleep and then their insomnia affects their work um and then you you tell them hey we're, we're on your side for this we're going to do our best to Make sure your case is heard. Um, it, it really puts a different perspective on the. Um, I'm not going to say the practice of law, but the application of law and the usefulness of the law. Um, so it's good to 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 be able to to assist people in that way.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. It yeah, it definitely seems interesting. I got a little taste of it while I was there at Laughlin. But I was able to visit the. The office and even witness one of the um i guess one of the hearings um Mm -hmm. which is another interesting uh, very interesting process as well so um yeah no really cool Uh, really cool And, and, and one of those jobs that doesn't really get a lot of advertisement um that is not well at least from when i was coming up um, through the ranks i'm not sure now probably they do in the jack school maybe they bring it up at pack or pcc and other courses um but i know that it's not always out there as an option for paralegals to say you know typically like we mentioned before dpsvp but you don't really know uh, there's another option potentially for you to explore um, and in a great location you go into san antonio because you're at uh, randolph right
1: yeah i'm at randolph and uh you know, a lot of people think, you know, you're going to go to San Antonio, you're only gonna, going to Lackland and you're going to be in the busy one of the busiest legal offices in the Air Force. But right now it's got it's a good location. It, it's a good. It's a good mission. You know, um, you have some long days, but. It's not going to be like working weekends, prepping for a court martial. Um, and. What you were talking about is, is a job that you don't really hear advertised. When I was an airman, I didn't know about it. Um, so we're doing our best to get our information out there. Uh, if you have um, an office that wants training on it, we can put on our mission brief and we're free to answer questions and talk about, you know, the scenario. Um, well, because we we help, we help, can help legal offices with information, um, even though we're almost sort of on opposing sides. But what we really want to do is, is you know, let the JAG community know about our job and our expertise and our assistance and, you know, come work for the ODC. You know, San Antonio is a great location. You get to be part of a, a, a big, a pretty decent legal office, um, practicing something that's pretty unique and, uh, you know, very, very fulfilling. Um, when you when you really think about what you're doing. So not just Jags but paralegals, of course, like we 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 do the job and it's part of our mission, but really it's it's rewarding to to know that you help service members like this.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, no, it moved so I think it began I'm not sure if it began, but it used to be at Lackland move to Randolph so definitely a better uh a, a better base I I think in my opinion right some people like Lackland um but I do believe Randolph is the is the better location um and yeah and something totally different and in addition to that yeah we, we our office received a brief um so if uh, you know if anyone's office is interested in in getting that mission brief uh, from the ODC and getting more in depth as to what they do and and uh and all other details, then definitely get with them to get that off uh it can be part of your training.
1: Especially if I if I'd been if I'd known about this office when I was in NCIC of discharges and I was wondering why my cases were busting metric when they get to AFPC. Um, you know. I wish I could have called the ODC at the time and saying, Hey, can you explain to me what, what's going on so I can at least let my commander know? but why this is not moving along the way it should.
0: Yeah. And that's that option as well that you get because what, so essentially they send up the discharge as a, so it's, it's both med board and, you know, admin discharge. Uh, And I guess one, well, from what I remember, sometimes one couldn't complete without the other or would the med board have to finish before the admin board? are the admin
1: districts so it they've changed the regulation recently even as to far as far as to who can approve it um, it used to be at the saf pc council now in some cases it could be to the gcm commander um and you know we don't work for the the gcm commander but we can we can say like hey this is what we're seeing um and you know we have our own interests and our interest is to Get our service members, you know, the most amount of benefits or whatever uh, separation they would like, or returning to duty. Um, but we can at least advise you because we, we this is all we see—is is disability evaluation system cases. Um, you know, a, a discharge clerk pushes. You know, they get five or six boards a year. That's like that's a lot of work. But we have hearings every single day. Um, some of our attorneys, um, you, know, you know, pretty much having a, a, a hearing three to four times a week. Um, so we know what, what the AFPC looks for as far as what they consider to be separation criteria. So um, yeah, give us a call if you want to come work for us or if you have questions or you want us to see if somebody at AFPCJA knows what's going on because we're different from them as well.
0: For sure. Well, Sergeant OG, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to uh, to do this. I know we, we were supposed to do one uh, last year. Um, trying to do one while you were, actually, while you were in, uh, in Honduras, but um, we still were able to make it happen, so definitely thank you for wanting to share your experience from the deployment and telling us a little bit about the ODC. Yeah, no, it was, you
1: know, it would have been I think I would have been fresher about what I was doing on a day-to-day basis if we'd done this while I was deployed. But I'll tell you that my my Wi-Fi um, was really bad. Uh, It was like if you've ever tried to watch a YouTube video and it buffers and you're like, what is going on? That's how bad the Wi-Fi was when I was down there. But I mean, it's probably my only complaint about the deployment That besides COVID. So thank you for giving me a chance to talk on this. I'm glad that we can finally um, get our schedules lined up and... uh, just thank you and keep doing what you do and, you know, highlighting different paralegal stories, different airmen's, different life experiences. It's, it's great that you're doing this for us.
0: Yeah, Oh, for sure. I appreciate it. Appreciate the support. Um, All right. Well, thanks. And uh, yeah, we'll see you around and take care.
1: All right. Thank you. Have a good night.
0: You too. Thanks.